Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. And Raja Bell. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell and Raja Bell. What's going on, my man? Slow motion, man. It's a slow <laughs> no, no, one. Why? No, I, I don't know. No, I think it's hump day. Right, there you go. Hump day. All right. I was tired before the show, and then I got to amp it up. Oh, all right, all right, Energy all right. Right away. <laughs> I'm here for you, man. I'm here for you. Uh, we got a big show for you. We're going to hit some uh, some Phillies baseball. You ready to talk oh, about dude, baseball? that's all you had to say. You should have said that sure. off the bat. You buried the lead. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Gronk, Patriots, they're in camp, mini-camp. Yep. Everybody showed up. No surprise there, as that was the mandatory one. That's why it's called mandatory. That's why they were all there. But right now, it's the time of year. Everybody's talking about the NBA Finals. We have Game uh, 3 coming up tonight in Cleveland as they go back home. A lot of the conversation in the last few days after they go down 2-0 was kind of referring back to Game 1 right. <laughs> with the J.R. Smith, the overtime, the handling of it, and the two-minute video that was out there that somebody found. It was really a, a genius move to find that video and to play it uh, where you kind of got a really g- a good glimpse of what was happening uh, behind this, you know, behind the scenes when the cameras were at commercial when you're watching the broadcast. Uh, and LeBron James is catching some heat for that interaction when he basically, to me, acted like a petulant crybaby. Right. And I thought he deserved a lot of criticism. Yeah. But here's LeBron talking about the criticism that he's been taking over the last 48 hours or so. Me? Me being criticized? No. You're saying I got criticized for something, right? No, I don't believe that. Not me. I don't care. I don't care at all. Um, I mean, we're in the NBA Finals. I mean, how much more picking up teammates you want me to do? I mean, NBA Finals to compete for a championship. So, I think he makes it even worse. Like, by acting, like, so dramatic and just drawing it out, I think the criticism really does bother him, even though he tries to play it off. Like, hey, I'm used to this. I always get criticized. Everything I do gets criticized. I think it drives him nuts. And I also think it was warranted. Like, I think he should have gotten criticized for the way that overtime was handled, the the gap in between that and the way he handled his teammates. Yeah. uh, I mean, clearly – the criticism affects LeBron a little bit. Like he, you know, to he be the, to be the, everything. Yeah. He's to be rabbit ears. He hears it all. And I think he, it drives him nuts to be the chosen one and the king. Like, look, Not easy you've got, either. and you got to take the good with the bad. Like you get, you get, you get like praised for being possibly the best basketball player ever to, to, to walk the earth. Like, so you got to take the criticism when it comes, whether it's warranted or not. And, you know, I, I think that was an attempt at him. Like he was trying to be funny. I think he was trying to be more funny than he really was trying to be, you know, transparent about how much, how bothered he was about the situation. I really think he was making an effort to be funny there. But Don't look. Don't you think it's his passive aggressive nature where he's like, he's not going to get ticked off at the media like he did after when he got off of Mark Schwartz and walked off. But he, this is his way of kind of subtly. Yeah. Like yeah. Taking a little, taking a little jab, taking a little dig. And, and that's like, I'm okay with that. I'm really not. Because as media members, like we sit over here, none of us, very few of us have been in that situation. Right. And as many times as I've been in that situation, I haven't been in that situation in LeBron's shoes. Right. You understand? Right. I, 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 I've been MJ. George Hill or I've been like right. J.R. Smith. And so I've never sat in the chair that LeBron sat in and felt the emotions of, of like, like very literally carrying that team all the way to a possible game one victory. Um, 
it could be a legacy defining moment if we get that game one, figure out a way to get another game. Now we're in a series and I can say that I took this team and we beat Golden State. Um, and it comes down to like, like three major gaffes by, by, by other people, like a miss free throw George Hill, uh, a for, uh, forgetting a time and score by, by J.R. Smith. And then your head coach not calling a timeout. Like I would be one? devastated. I would, I, I can't tell you that I wouldn't do what LeBron did in that situation. And then, like, I thought other people, and I said this the other day to you, I thought it was other people's job at that time to galvanize those troops. I thought it was more on the, um, uh, Jose Calderon. I thought it was on Kendrick Perkins a little bit. I thought it would have been on Kyle Corver and Jeff Green, guys who weren't in the game, guys who wouldn't have been as affected, um, to get in there and really, like, rally the troops while LeBron went through his moment because you have to allow him that moment, in my opinion. Do you, like, what else can he do? I think he has to have a game one performance. Like he's got, and maybe it doesn't have to be fifty-one, but it's got to be like an epic performance yeah. for them to pull it out. Well, I've said this throughout the playoffs this year just to about get one LeBron. Game. Like, yeah, that, that's just to get a game. Correct. Yeah. LeBron has to be the best player on the planet, um, and he still was the best player on the planet in game two. But he didn't try to impose his will on the game. He looked like he was resigned to the fact that it was going to be hard for him to score. And he was going to get everyone else involved. And to his credit, he made fantastic shot opportunities for other people. They just didn't make them. And that's been this whole postseason. So when I say he's got to be the best player on the planet, like you better go get it. And if it, if it works out that you get 50 because you were very efficient, um, then you'll have 50. And if it works out that you get 33 because you shot the ball 34 times and you weren't efficient, a la Kobe at times, do that. Yeah. But don't just pass the ball and be content distributing it around the court. And yes, those are the right basketball plays. I'm not arguing that. But that's not what's going to get this team where it needs to go. What's going to get them where they need to go is LeBron putting it all on his shoulders and going to get it. And then once those teammates see that, they can then follow suit to some degree. We're going to pick this game and pick some props in just a little bit. Um, but I think LeBron, and I think Ty Lue calls him out at times, but usually when he comes off of a bad look, like yeah. maybe it's, you know, or a bad, you know, a bad game like game two was, he usually does come out and is the world beater that we all know he is. So I would expect him to try to have one of those games, you know, where he imposes his will on everybody. Right. One of the big assumptions that I think people make, and I think it's, it's easy to do, is they'll say, all right, there's that moment when he decided to leave Cleveland. Like, because of what happened with J.R. Smith, because yeah. of the way that played out, because he had the face where he looked like he was crying, he was complaining, then he's going to leave Cleveland. I don't think it's to that extent, but I do feel if they look as hopeless and as helpless as he did in game two, I think he will bounce. Like, do you, but do you think it even comes down to that or do you think it's much bigger than no, just I think that, series? I think that decision, uh, Whatever part of that decision can be made, like not having had these discussions probably with the front office yet, not knowing where they're going to go, um, pre, like pre-draft, you don't know what they're going to get in the draft. So whatever fraction of the decision can be made, I believe it to already be made. I don't think that the only thing that could change it now in this series would be if they won. Now, if they won and were able to figure it out, all right, may, maybe that sways him you know, in the direction of staying in Cleveland. Other than that, I think he's already kind of got his mind around what he wants to do. Now, there are some things that Cleveland may be able to do or promise or or get via the draft and or trades that could entice him to either stay or or further, you know, push him out the door. But I think right now he's already got his mind wrapped around it, and I don't know that this series, this series really 
has his decision hanging in the balance, if you will. Right. You know, like the, I think. See, I think people in the media uh, and just fans in general overreact to everything. Right. So you're going to say, all right, if they lose, this is it. But I, I, I tend to agree with you that I think he's going to wait because I think he's a very smart businessman. Like he's going to look at it and say, all right. And he wants to win, which right. is one of the things I love. As much as I hate some of the stuff like the press conference, I love that he wants to win. He wants to get championships. I think he's going to look at Houston. He's going to look at Philadelphia. He's going to look at every team. Anybody that approaches him with a very real sure. approach, he's going to listen. Whether it's Cleveland, Miami, like all these teams, he's going to say, all right, maybe I'll go there. And he'll try to make the best decision to win a championship. All right, and you know why? It's because... This is where legacies are made. It's the finals. It's how many championships yeah. you can bring. And there's a guy on the other team, and Steph Curry, who hasn't played the same to the same level in the NBA Finals as he has in the regular season. Right. Except until this year, possibly. Because it does look like he's probably the favorite to get the finals MVP, something he hasn't done before. Do you think this is a legacy-defining series for Steph? Or is it even possible because he has KD and so many other pieces around him? Yeah, I. So let me go down the stats from his uh, two games this postseason, right? Oh, uh, they're they're up on the right. So we got thirty-one, right? So there, I mean, there is significantly a better. significant difference there. But my eyeballs don't watch the series and say this is legacy defining. So this is one of those weird, you know, like like analytics versus eyeball, like old school scout versus new school analytics guy, like. Yeah, I guess analytically you could make a case that he's off the charts. But when I watched the game, yeah, I know he had nine threes and that was a playoff record or a finals record. Like that was fantastic. But generally, overall, in the game, he's been fantastic. But it doesn't look like it's a legacy-defining series for Steph Curry. It looks like Steph Curry business as usual to me. Yeah. Now, I know the stats sing a different tune, but he's got so much weaponry. You just alluded to it in the Kevin Durant's, the the Clay Thompson's, Draymond's. It, it doesn't feel like that to me, to answer your question. It doesn't feel like this is legacy-defining. Now, it would be dope right? if you win all these championships, you also get yourself a finals MVP. Like That's going to be really cool to have on the mantle, to have in his on his resume, but I don't feel like it's legacy-defining. So he's he's averaging 31 a game as opposed to 24 a game in the last two finals. He's av he's almost 50% from three right. as opposed to 30 in the last couple. I'm with you. I think he's got to have... In your legacy, you have to have game like moments, like, right? And and I don't think they're gonna need it. Like I and like you had some like in game one when he had the catch and shoot before halftime that tied up the game. Um, you've had a couple here and there, but you haven't had a game winner, right? You know, I I don't think you're gonna I don't, but I don't think you're gonna need it. And ultimately, I think the same thing that hurts Kevin Durant because he you know everybody doesn't like the fact that he left to join the super team. I almost feel like that hurts Steph Curry as well because this is really going to be seen as a super team, a super should, team, which is great. Like that's yeah. the thing, but I don't think it's going to put Steph in the pantheon of MJ, Kobe and LeBron unless he literally carries a team, which I think is impossible with this team unless somebody gets hurt or right. he doesn't have to. You're comparing teams that for the most part, I mean you can make the argument that D-Wade was on LeBron's like peer level, but like those, those Kobe's, those, those, I mean, Kobe had Shaq, but, uh, like MJ, let's use like MJ, Bird, like those guys were the alphas. They didn't have a peer on their team. Like if they were a number one, the next closest guy on their team was a clear number two, possibly a number three, a really good number three. And you're talking about a team that has two number ones, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. It's much harder to make a, like, to be regarded as like a legacy player off of a playoff performance when you're playing with with Kevin Durant 
So everybody's looking for something to grasp onto to say, all right, how can the Cavs get back into the series? How can the series turn? It was an interesting nugget that came out that the Cavs starters actually had uh, a positive plus minus in game two, which actually wasn't close. I mean, it, didn't, yeah. it wasn't as close as game one. Um, Kevin Love talked about Rodney Hood's potential impact. And this might be a reach to say, all right, we can do anything. But see what you think about Kevin Love. He's a guy that can that can step in and, and fill up a scoreboard and uh, you know left-handed a little bit unorthodox in the way that he plays and uh, just having that that height on him and that wingspan and, uh, and the ability to to not only make shots but on the defensive end switch out um, you know also play a guy like KD uh, at his size and just make you know it, it, it tough on on both ends of the floor for their team. I think it's a reach. I mean, I think at this point you're looking for everybody has to step up. And I just, I'm with, I think the only way this series shifts is if LeBron does it. Yeah. It, it, that's like LeBron must do it. Yeah. Like Rodney, Rodney Hood. Um, I think Rodney Hood should play a little bit more. I think Jose Calderon should play a little bit more. I think he you hasn't need played at all. I haven't yet. seen like, it. And I, he was serviceable in the Indiana series. He had moments. Like you're looking for guys that can give you moments. You're not looking for someone. If I'm Ty Lu. In the Cavs, I'm not looking for someone that's going to change the series. Because to your point, there's only one guy on that team that can change the series. It's LeBron. What do you need, like a quarter, like a Kyle Korver to come in and get hot and hit three threes in a yeah, row? Yeah, like moments like that. I need Jose Calderon to come in and give me six, seven good minutes of basketball where he's not like a turnover machine. He may hit a jump shot or two or uh, defend someone serviceably. Like just give me quality playoff minutes. And Rodney Hood, in theory, should be able to do that. Rodney Hood is the only other person. Like you've got LeBron who can create, you've got Kevin Love who's a semi-creator, but to get him to create, like Kevin Love is like a running back where like he starts off slow sometimes and you gotta just keep giving him the ball and giving him the ball and giving him the ball and eventually like now he's rolling. Kevin Love is that kind of offensive creator, like the ball has to keep going to him and you don't have enough time in an NBA game to just keep feeding Kevin Love if you're gonna be a good team. Uh, Jeff Green a little bit, although the, the tread is, like really thin on that tire, but you would think that Rodney Hood could create a little bit, not to that degree, but let me give you like his playoff numbers this year. All right. His playoff numbers this year, he's 13 and a half minutes per game, 4.5 points per game, 41% from the field and 15% from the three. Like that's what he's supposed to do. Yeah. He's shooting 15% from the field. And when I go back to last year's playoffs, he's nine points a game when he was with Utah. 35% from the field and 26% from the three. Like, he is not a playoff, like, tested, proven entity. And that's what scares me about Rodney Hood. I would go to him, see if he could do it, but the track record on Rodney Hood is speaking for itself right now. He's going to have a very short leash. That's the problem. And shooters sometimes need one, two, three shots to get going. Like, I missed the third one or I make the third one, I get a free throw, now I'm hot. Ty Lue's going to have a really short lease with Rodney Hood, so don't expect him to come in there and change the dynamic for them offensively. Andre Godala missed games one and two with the bone bruise. Talking about maybe playing him game three. Does that do anything for you? Like, nah. I, I don't think so either. Like, nah. even talking about LeBron having epic performance, I don't think it matters. The rich get richer. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, essentially, right. right? You're just right. getting another bullet that you can load into the chamber. He can defend LeBron. He is another playmaker where you can give him the ball and he can facilitate some offense. He's been a a finals MVP. He looks like Roman J. Israel in that picture with those terrible glasses. But I mean, like, uh, he's just, Urkel? it's right. It's just terrible. Like? <laughs> um, it's just another weapon that they can kind of load up. And, and, you know, I think defensively, it's going to give them in a game where to your point earlier, LeBron's going to have to try to go ham, or at least I would hope that he would. Now you've got another live body you could throw at him. If he's 90%. 
and it's a bone bruise where every day you rest it, it gets better. Yeah. Would you just keep sitting him until you absolutely – like if you lost game three, then you could be like, all right, we'll bring him back. Um, like he has to be begging me to play. I'd play him. You would. Even I, if he's 90%, yeah, not I'd, healthy, I'd play, play him. Yeah, I mean, I because I, I think at this point, if I'm being honest, and you're Golden State. Now, you can't say this. But you know this series. Absolutely. You know it's a wrap. And now he wants to play in the playoffs, right? right? Like He wants to get him a little taste too. Yeah. So at 90%, I'd probably play him. All right, cool. All right, so we talk a lot about LeBron James being the GOAT. Yep. You have to see it. You have to see this. All right, because LeBron is going to be on the cover of 2K19. It's featured. Pretty cool cover. That is right a dope there. cover. It looks like a slam magazine. Yeah, it yeah. really does. Now, would you be worried at all? That the last three years have been Durant, <laughs> Kyrie, and Paul George, all who left their teams soon after they appeared on the cover. And if you notice, on the actual cover, I don't see any reference to the actual team that he plays for. That like, is, it's all about it's not about Cleveland. Goat, this is King, about LeBron. Quality. Like, it's all his brand. It ain't Cleveland. Like, there's no jersey on him. And I think that's probably for a very specific reason. If I'm a Cleveland fan, I might be more worried about this cover than I am about his... <laughs> You know, his, his performance in the finals, his team's performance, that's a bad sign for Cleveland right there. That was an awesome cover. It had it Bronny, really Bryce, cool. and Zuri down there. Like, it was, I, I it had his kids' names on it. In. I loved that. I thought it was a really cool cover. And yeah, if you you're, look. his kids, like, playing the game with their buddies? Like, that'd be insane. You don't need no damn EA Sports you if you're on, Cleveland are you to on, know that he ain't coming back to Cleveland potentially. Are you on, like, a Legends version of any, like, I don't even know. I'm in the game. You are. Oh, I'm in the game. Yeah. Nice. EA Sports. I'm in the game. Yeah. Believe <laughs> that. <laughs> you that. That's sweet. I get an occasional license. No, not. I, All right. My kids get a kick. The royalties that I get yeah. are my kids or like the kids on my fifth grade and third grade team awesome. coming in and telling me, Coach, Coach, you scored 16 last night. Like nice. that's cool. Debo, make sure you cut up that uh, EA Sports. <laughs> I'm in the game. That's the best sound I've ever heard. Let's do a little move the needle. Okay. All right. Does this do anything for you? How much does it move the needle? Move the needle. All right. little Phillies baseball talk. I told you I was yeah. going to bring it today. So they were in first place in their division for a while. Then they've had a rough stretch. Uh Didn't get worse than it did against the uh, San Francisco Giants over the weekend where they struggled massively. Right. Jake Arrieta, their pitcher, came out and basically crushed Gabe Kapler, their manager, um, in the weekend, he was furious. Like okay. he talked about, he called the Phillies defensive shifts the worst in the league. Uh, he said, we need to change that, copy the best. That's not my job. Insinuating whose job it is. is yes, the correct. Kapler. Uh, they said that he said they need a reality check, accountability check, top to bottom after a horse bleep series. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking, oh man, there must be some dissension in the, the clubhouse. Like, man, Kapler must be ticked off. Kapler comes out. And he's like, no, he's had a different take on it. I think I may have a little different take on this than most. The last thing I want is for our clubhouse to be content. If we're content, it means we're not getting better. Our clubhouse should be passionate, driven like Jake, and only satisfied when we were clicking on all cylinders. I don't think we have the defensive shifts figured out. I don't think anyone has them nailed down. Jake's comments are true. We didn't play well, and we can be better. It's an opportunity for us to sit down and discuss how we can improve our team. Personally, I don't mind Jake expressing his feelings. Or about our shifts or anything else. Ideally, he and I and our clubhouse leaders and staff should be constantly discussing ways to excel. Okay. So first of all, this was my like needle. I was going to move it, but that took, <laughs> that was like a long read. So like I like it didn't really move the needle, right? Uh, it just, yeah, the needle bounced. I mean, there's truth to what both of them said. Like here's, here's at the, at the root of this. Here's what I feel. Gabe Kapler, I respect. 
that you're an outside the box thinking manager, right? Yep. And you want your, your players, uh, to have a voice. Uh, you want people to be on edge. I agree with that. Like you never want people comfortable. You want people always like working together, searching for the answers, always feeling like they're not good enough. That's that edge. That's that chip on the shoulder that generally keeps, you know, like the LeBrons of the world at the top. He feels like the whole world's against him, even though we know it not to be like LeBron feels disrespected. So like I'm cool with Gabe, you know, allowing his players the freedoms to feel like that and encouraging it. It's a slippery slope though. Like you have to have the right kind of guys in there. Your, your disciplinary hand, if you will, I wanted to say something else, but I'm not sure like <laughs> if it's PC enough, but you're, you, you have to be in control. There's a fine line between allowing players to have freedom and a voice and then you losing control within your own clubhouse because like, uh, Arietta doesn't respect him, so why the hell do I got to respect him? Like Arietta can jump out there in the in the media and call it, you know, bleep bleep bleep, yeah. and, and like you start to lose control, and that's not a good look. That's how you get fired. So, you know, Mike D'Antoni was a lot. I would never disrespect my coach in the media. I think it's a terrible look. Right. I think it's a terrible look. That's something that you do behind closed doors. You can give an answer alluding to what, like, yo, we didn't do well with that. Like, we need to clean that up without throwing your manager on the bu- under the bus. So I would never subscribe to exactly what Jake Arietta did. But Mike D'Antoni and I said this all the time. Like, he gave us so much freedom, and it was a beautiful thing when it worked. But all it took was one bad apple, one person to walk over him a little bit. And then you lose control of what you got going on there. I would just caution Gabe Kaplan about that. I'm really impressed that you caught yourself like four times there when you wanted to curse. Like yeah. nobody's happened to Debo, so he didn't have to bleep him out. So good job to you. No doubt, Debo. I got um you. with this, I I hate it that it played out. I think Kapler handled it really well yeah. afterwards by saying, I like this, because there's no way you can like this approach. I feel it's the same, and I, I think you and I are probably in the same position where I'm old school. Like I think there are some things that you should just not say. You shouldn't sell out your coach, you shouldn't no. sell out your teammates especially to the media. I would have had no problem if Jake Arrieta went into the clubhouse after the series and chucked stuff, was cussing, maybe went in and cussed out Kapler. Right. But he didn't do it to the media. Like, you you keep family issues in-house. That's like, right. You don't want to air out your dirty laundry. Like, it's one thing if you have an argument with your wife. It's another thing if you're doing it in the front lawn and everybody in the neighbors are looking around saying, oh, man, they got problems. Like, Correct. You probably will figure out your stuff. Just don't. It's only going to make it worse because I'm with you. The next guy is going to feel empowered to go out there and shred somebody. And then what happens if you're not shredding the manager? What if you're shredding a teammate? Yeah. And it's all just kind of – it's not a good look. And I think they're yeah. going to have to uh, have to monitor that. But, hey, Kapler's cool with it, so hopefully they'll be able to they'll figure things out. All right, next up for Move the Needle, Mike Fears versus Giancarlo Stanton. So if you're asking what, well, Tigers pitcher Mike Fears, he hit Stanton on Monday. And if you recall, Giancarlo Stanton had one of the scariest hit-by-pitches Maybe in all of baseball history. Yeah. He gets it right in the face, sends him out of the game. It's why he wears the, you know, he wore the helmet, the protective helmet. When it happened the first time, when he got hit, I was like, uh oh, this guy may never be able to stand in a batter's box again. Without like, just that being, mentally. Yeah. And I've been, you know, really impressed that he was able to come back. So Fears hits him again. They start chirping a little bit. Stanton hit a home run later in the game. Fears called him childish. I'd say good for John Carlos Stanton. Like for him, I'd, I would have, I don't know. I, I, I would have done more than probably just a should bat flip. Throwing a bat at his ass after he hit the home run. Like, I would have wanted you, more revenge. You know what he should have done? He should have, instead of like flipping, like, are there all these unwritten rules in baseball? Like, he flipped the bat, like, after three steps towards the dugout, flip that thing out towards him I at the would, mound. I would have carried flip it around it. the bases. Yeah. Like, <laughs> dude, you drill me in the face with a ball. 
I'll tell you what, uh, Mike Fears. Every time I step in the box, this should be an unwritten rule. You can't come anywhere near me with a ball ever again. Just because you feel that bad about what you did to my face, you should never be high and tight with me ever again. And so, yeah, when I jack it, you should have took that bat and wrapped it across the back of his neck. <laughs> I love it. A Rajah rule. I like that one. Flip it towards the pitcher. I like that one even better. All right, here's maybe my – speaking of rules, uh, next up and move the needle. The Pac-12. Yeah. Finally – Pass so stupid. Rule. So stupid. Wait a second. You so don't like this rule? Why? Hold on. So they pass the rule. Why? That five and seven teams can't go to bowl games. What does it bother you? I love it. It might bother. Well, what do you care if you're the Pac-12? This is totally. Hey, you guys get a trophy. Oh, you guys had a nice. Let's give you a trophy too. You know, who should get trophies. The teams that win something. But Not why? Teams that go if five and seven are that, garbage. If you're like, why do you crash team? Why do you Santa's care if you're the conference though? <laughs> So like, have, it's not coming out of the conference's pocket, is it, to throw a bowl game for them? Big five and seven. So Let me, listen, five and seven. Uh, Danny Pac-12 Canel, are you, is, are you coming out of pocket to provide a bowl game for a five and seven team in your conference? Are no. you? So why do you give a dang? Why do you care? <laughs> because a, the, some of these teams that have made, uh, five and te- bowls is five and seven, San Jose State from 2015. Right. Uh, Nebraska from 2015. Minnesota from 25th, Mississippi State. You know what's crazy? All those four teams won their bowl games, so they got to six and seven. Way to go, guys. You get that thing. <laughs> uh, the only team that's lost is North Texas, who lost in the heart of Dallas Bowl. I just, I think it's stupid. Like, I think it should be something special that you earn. And I don't think going five and seven deserves anything except an off season. Like, and, and you got to get better. You got to go to spring and you got to, you got to do something to improve, not, Way to go. Here's your, uh, consolation prize. I mean, I don't love this. I just, I, I don't, I, I hear you. I just don't understand why. It they, is a cool experience though. And it, but I actually like that they passed the rule. What do the swag bags look like at the heart of Dallas Bowl? Are you getting barbecue? <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, also, <laughs> it's, I don't know. You get like a little, like a little bib, a little yeah. Texas Pete barbecue. Yeah, bib. probably. That's probably they get some, <laughs> some Pete's hot sauce. That's what they get. What's crazy thing is they probably actually get like Xboxes, uh, and like uh, cool stuff. Yeah. So I guess you know, good for those guys going five and seven. Way to go. <laughs> All right, how about a little tennis? Does it move the needle yeah. for you? The French Open. Yeah, you, you were a little tennis player. Yeah, I like a it. Junior I, tennis, right? The peck, the peck strain with uh Serena moved the needle. Yeah, uh, the black outfit in a bad way, like in a bad way. Yeah, that she couldn't finish. Correct. And I wanted to see, I wanted to see her and Sharapova because she's had like mind control well, they hate over Sharapova, other. and they, they really do. Yeah, like, but it's not even. It's one of those things. Like, it's not even a rivalry. Like, I want it to right, be because like, Serena dominates. Sharapova just kind of like folds. Um, the black outfit was just out of bounds. The cat like, suit. Yeah, like when did that become out of bounds? Good winner? or bad? <laughs> no, not not bad or right. good. Tennis just like is supposed to be like this when very did, reserved sport. Yeah, where, you know they're supposed to look conservative, and she comes out there just bam. I guess in Paris I'm though, like it. the epicenter of like fashion. Oh, you're like, right. I guess you could like Wimbledon's I, not having that. How about if she broke out a all white cat at Wimbledon? Oh man, nah, they would uh, kick her out. But it's Serena. They would let Serena do it. She can get away with it. They might because she dominates Wimbledon too. But uh Rafa is going for eleven. Yeah, like the king of the yeah. king of clay. Yep. Like I think that's pretty cool. I don't understand. Like, have you ever seen like Rafa in person? Like that left arm is like <laughs> hangs. That, no, but it's like. The left arm is like off of like a bodybuilder and the right arm is like mine. Right. Like they're like two different things. Like, you know what I mean? Right. It's incredible. Right. There's but no balance there. It moves the needle for me a little bit. I want to see Rafa go for 11. That's pretty, that's incredible. I was nervous because Serena, I don't know if you remember me on the podcast. Oh yeah. I said she'd never get another major because I think it's going to be really tough for her to come back. And just from the physical toll, and I think you're seeing some of that, but I, I don't know. I might be ch- changing that somewhat. Uh, because she looked pretty good when she was healthy. 
All right, how about a little World Cup soccer? Yeah. What, next Thursday? Next Thursday. It is coming out soon. So their World Cup uh, kits were released. Yeah. So the kits, I guess these are uniforms? Yeah, those are uniforms. The unis, the kits are the unis. So I got nervous when it said kits. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I got to research something. So Iceland, the thing I like about Iceland is the chant that they do. Yeah. Colombia's got their kits with their traditional yellow or blue. Yeah. I can see from these pictures. Germany's kit. Not bad. Pretty stylish. Yeah. Pretty stylish look there. Are you going to go buy any of these kits? I will not buy a kit. Favorite word, by I, the, way. the kits. Now, yeah, Nigeria, Nigeria's kit, the Nike, the Nike kits are all dope. Like Nigeria, uh, Brazil, um, England, France. Like those are all like my traditionally, like my traditional favorite kits. Like, uh, and I would buy them for my kids. Like my kids have a USA and a Brazil and stuff like that. Um, the Nigerias are like inspired by that 94, the 94. So I like the Nike kits. It was interesting to me to see, like, I don't really love the Adidas ones. Not like, like Germany and I think Argentina's Adidas and stuff like that. But New Balance had like, I didn't even know they had, they, they did soccer. I think they had like three national team, like, uniforms. Really? Provider for. Um, you had Umbro. Shout out to the dad shoes. Yeah, right? Seriously, <laughs> the wide, like, yes. Velcro. Hey, I white. like a little New Balance old school look. You know? I do. I like the traditional, like, runners, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, but that was interesting to me. But yeah, I like, I typically like the Nikes. My favorite, definitely Nigeria. And then second would be like Brazil and France. Like, I'm a tip, I like that blue on blue for Brazil or the blue on yellow. Uh, and then France, the blue and white is, is just classic. I like that. How about the Canelo GG, uh, Triple G match? Uh, like, what do you, Bitching about Oscar De La Hoya. Like, <laughs> your fighter just got banned for, like, for steroids, and Triple G doesn't want to come off of the 50-50 split. That's what – take right. the 50-50, bro. <laughs> you just got banned from, from, from the fight. If you can get it, go right. ahead and do it. Uh, it doesn't move the needle at all for me. I don't think the World Cup does either. No? I just, I, if, if the U.S. was in it, yeah, I'd watch. I just – I don't know. I'll tune in if there's a superstar plan. I like I good know. soccer, dude. You don't like good soccer? Like, it's good for a nap. <laughs> There's not a whole lot going on. I hope your boy Steve Nash doesn't listen to the podcast anymore. Um, Let me tell you, look, yeah. Steve Nash, um, myself, my buddy Gene Durkak, and Anthony Harris, this would have been probably eight years ago now. We went to watch Argentina play. It was a huge game. See, I would love to go. We went to an Argentinian bar like in downtown New York, and we got there at like 8 in the morning to watch this game. There was already a crowd. And they were like lined up 50 deep on the street watching. Yeah. And we had like this great setup inside that atmosphere with the Argentinian fans, like chanting the whole game. Uh, we were, we were smashed, but it was a last, great, great atmosphere. The last world cup, I was actually in Manhattan as well. Like just walking around. I wasn't looking for the game. And I remember, I think I was jogging or something, uh, running around town. And I remember seeing all the different sports oh, bars and they had their countries set up there. Dude. It was pretty cool. Like, yeah. yeah. That's what I need to do. Maybe I'll get into soccer then. Little bar hop. All right. Uh, how about some picks and props? Okay. Doing all right. We're, we're, we're above 500, which is solid. We're making people money. Uh, you're in the lead, the six and two record. I'm right Thank behind you. the six and three. Debo all of a sudden is struggling. <laughs> At 500, and then there's Hannah. All right. Uh, so, uh, Hannah's, uh, Hannah's always there. Hannah. Hang around. <laughs> We're gonna, I think it's a turnaround one right here. So, uh, Debo, what do we got? Picks and props. Well, we have some big news because in Delaware, sports gambling went live yesterday, and their governor, John Carney, was the first to make a legal bet. Check this out. I want to place a $10 bet on the Philadelphia Fighting Phils to defeat the Chicago Cubs in Chicago. <laughs> So uncomfortable. 
Uh, he actually said the team. You're actually supposed to say the wager number, but the Philadelphia Fighting Phils did win six to one. We're going to see if we can keep it going like John Carney. We're obviously going to pick game three of the NBA Finals. The Warriors, four and a half point favorites on the road. Do the Warriors extend their series advantage to three nothing? I'm going to say yeah. I'm going to take the Warriors tonight. Yeah, you're gonna take the Warriors. I'm gonna take the Warriors. I think that the Cavs will come out inspired. I think LeBron will play great. But although I've heard a million and one cases for why the Cavs haven't played like up to par yet and they haven't hit their threes, I'm gonna make the same case that the Warriors have not hit their stride offensively. And so I think the Warriors go up 3-0 tonight. I think this is an outstanding time to find a little value on the Warriors. Like right. if you can get them at only four and a half, yeah. they've been 12, 12 and a half point favorites against this team. I think the home court plays a little bit of an advantage, but I don't think this team, I think all of the history of this rivalry, blowing the 3-1 lead, like the chirping that's been going on, like I yeah. think that all favors the Warriors. And if they get Iguodala back, like it, it, I think this is when you jump on the Warriors and get them at this number. Yep. I'm with you. All right. So I don't want to lose. So I'm actually going to agree with you guys instead of going against you today. I'll take the Warriors. We're going to get Hannah's pick. She just forgot to give us her pick conveniently the other day. So normally I make up these fake props. This one, a real one. 51 points in game one, 29 points in game two. The over under for LeBron James in game three is set for 37 and a half. Where do we side on that one? Under. Really? Yeah, I think he'll be in the 30, I think he'll be close, close, but I think he'll probably be like 34, 35. As Vegas always does, they're going to be right around the number. I think we, I talked about earlier in this pod, I think this will be a game when LeBron comes out and is like, I got to do it on my own. I think he could have like 15 in the first quarter. Yep. I'm going to say he gets over. Okay. I'm going to say he gets 40 plus yeah. in this game. I think he's going to have, and I still think they lose, which is nuts, but I think it's going to be one of those games where he has to put them on their back. All right, uh, speaking of Hannah, let's get it over to her. Guys, I know I avoided talking about my pick earlier, but I'm sticking with the Cavs. <laughs> oh, there we go. Fading everybody. I like that. I don't pick. know why I'm doing this, but it's what I decided <laughs> to begin with, so I just have to see it through. <laughs> nice. Fingers crossed. All right, guys, it's time now for your news in 90. Trust the investigative law firm. Members of the Sixers ownership group reportedly met for several hours on Tuesday to discuss whether findings from the probe in president of basketball operations, Brian Colangelo, warrants his firing. The finals are back in the land with Game 3 between the Cavaliers and the Warriors set to tip off after 9 p.m. tonight. Golden State holds, holds a 2-0 series edge. Andre Iguodala has been pain-free for the past few days and is questionable to make his 2018 finals debut on Wednesday night. And boxing in the news, but for the wrong reasons. The desired rematch between Canelo Alvarez and Triple G is officially off the table, according to reports. The rematch was originally scheduled for May 5th, but pushed back due to Alvarez testing positive for a banned substance. The updated bout was set to take place on September 15th. Tim Linscombe's comeback has hit a snag. The Rangers released the former Cy Young Award winner on Tuesday, thus ending his comeback attempt for the moment. Linscombe last pitch in the majors in 2016, going 2-6 two and six with the Angels. And over to some softball action. Florida State won its first national championship. The Seminoles swept the two-game series against Washington to get the title win. The Seminoles won six elimination games in the NCAA tournament, with four coming in a 48-hour span in the Women's College World Series. That was your news in 90. Danny, how about them Noles? Boom! I was watching the game oh, last man. night with my daughters. It was really cool. Hey, do you ever play softball? <sighs> Me? Did no, you play terribly. as a kid? No, <laughs> no you didn't. <laughs> it was, no, but it was really cool to watch a woman's, a women's sport 
that was on a night. Like there was nothing else on TV. Yeah. And it's exciting. It's pretty exciting. It is. Too. It's an exciting fast pace. Like yeah. a lot yeah, of no jacks. Problem. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. Florida State, boom, first national championship for the ACC as well. Beat it. Carrying the conference, baby. Beat I it. love it. Read and react. So let's do a little read and react to some CBSSports.com headlines. All right. How about this one? Max Scherzer joins the Immaculate Club. If you're wondering, hey, what the heck is that? That's where you strike out the side on nine pitches. I actually think it's one of the most underrated uh feats in all of sports. When you think about you going against some of the best in the business, it hasn't happened that many times. Lefty Grove, Sandy Koufax, Randy Johnson, Nolan Ryan are the only other pitchers to throw multiple immaculate innings. Yeah. It's pretty incredible for me. Um, How many hits could I get off of Max Scherzer if he threw me 100 fastballs in the zone? Did you play ba- uh, baseball growing up? Oh, yeah. Till what age? About 10th grade was my last year I played. I think you could put 10, I think you could make contact probably 10 or 15 times. Out of 100. Yeah. That's how fast he's throwing the ball. I was not a great hitter by full right. disclosure. I was not. I was a better fielder than And I also than a think you wouldn't be swimming normally. You'd be kind of like trying to just punch it in play. Got it. But I think you could do it. All right. you? I picks, think I could hit picks a Picks and props over four and a half actual hits like in the infield wherever. No, over. Over. I think I could hit four balls. I, to your yeah. point, I could put the bat on the ball. You're saying just put oh. it in play? No, he said base hits. It's like... If you were playing and you were at the plate and there was a oh yeah no there. probably under yeah no I would take four hundred pitches a lot of pitches it's a lot of pitches I was not a very good hitter tell <laughs> <laughs> me that the first time all right next up and read and react how about this one Gronk everything is good he says with Bill Belichick uh, he missed OTAs he might be angling for that new contract I don't know do we have the sound Debo uh, just was training on my own just felt like that was the best thing for me and uh. I wanted to take care of my body, uh, take care of myself, and see where I was at. And uh, before I before I, uh, I came out here, so it went good. I think, think I think it was a good decision. Yeah, <laughs> I love how awkward it is. Belichick talked about it all. You know what this is equivalent to? When you're out with a couple, yeah, and I've been in this position when there's a couple and they're dating, and they've been dating for like six months to a year. And it's in that phase where they're considering marriage, but they're not. Probably one of them wants to get married, and they're out with another couple. And somebody says, are you guys getting married? And it just all of a sudden gets really awkward because nobody wants to talk about that. That's what it's like every time that anybody in the Patriots talks about the relationships. Like, how's it going? Is it good to have them back? What are they doing? It's just super awkward. That is really awkward. (laughs) Um and Gronk, like the 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 dome, like yeah, I, the bald, the shaved dome. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for. I got, I mean, I'm obviously no, but some people but. wear it better than others, and I would say Gronk does not wear it too well. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That is awkward though. Look, um, all that retiring, like, gonna shut it down and go be a movie star stuff. Like, I never bought any of that in the first place. So get a man his new contract. Like, he's the best tight end in the game. Work it out and like, let go ahead and get another. Go ahead and get another ring so Bill can walk, you know, walk yeah. away, and then you guys can do whatever you want to do there. All right, let's finish it up, Debo, with some topics. What do you got for us? Topics. All right, so Danny, I already know your answer and your response for this one. Take the money and run, and I should have played baseball. But Kyler Murray, who we talked about on Monday's episode, was drafted way higher than expected, ninth overall by the Oakland Athletics. In that slot, he could earn up to a $5 million signing bonus, but he says he's staying with Oklahoma football, could join the A's organization in the offseason, take the money and run. Yeah, I mean, he could still get the five million and play football, right? Yes, like yeah. that's uh, what I would do. Yeah, the only problem is like if you're, 
I mean, man, if you're going to get a five million signing bonus and you're that good at baseball, you you suffer some kind of big ACL injury or some catastrophic injury plan for Oklahoma this year, and like, like I don't know, dude. I'd probably play, but if you give me five million, I can still play football. I'd do it too. Damn it. That's what I love that Debo pulled up a graphic of my stats with the Newark Bears <laughs> represented. Like, not bad. He doesn't have my triples on there because I had two triples on there One as well. Run. All right. But the photo that he found, the oh, DQ look. With fantastic. This, yeah, right? Nice, nice work, Debo. Yeah, uh, there wasn't many photos of you yeah, actually really playing not. for the Newark Bears. Couldn't find him. You should ask me. I had a couple. <laughs> um, when you when, – but I, seriously, if you can get the, the, the money kind of – I mean, it's not – a lot of people are like, huh, $5 million? It is, you're secure for a very long time. Sure. You're probably even for life. I think the, the risk of, yeah, an ACL would be, you know, that'd be rough. I think you'd still come back and play baseball. Yeah. You don't need that speed as much. You know, the risk of a, you know, awful, horrific act, you can get insurance for that. True. Which he can insure himself. So I would say if he loves football and it's always been a goal of his, there's like major, minor league baseball sucks. You're going to be on a bus. It's boring. Nobody's yeah. watching. It's a grind. Play major college football. Only a couple years. Use it as your summer job. Like you go, you play football for the Sooners, try out, see if you're good, have fun. Yeah. Great team. Make five million. And then in the summertime, instead of like going to get an internship or just going to workouts for football, go play baseball. Right. You're getting five million bucks in your pocket. Like there's nothing to me looking back. I wish I would have had. Can you imagine going to college? With money in your pocket, what like that much money? I'd be buying drinks for everybody. Like, you can, you would be the biggest stud. It'd be on dangerous. Campus. It could be dangerous. It would be dangerous. Be dangerous. So I say, go ahead and do that. All right. What's next? All right. Last topic here. So there's two lists I look forward to each year. It's the Bachelor contestants being released and the highest paid athletes of the year. And that one was released yesterday. No surprise. For the fourth time in the past seven years, wow. Floyd Mayweather tops that list, and he's. Head and shoulders above everyone else. There's three soccer stars in the top five. Conor McGregor sneaks into the top five because of Floyd Mayweather. What's your reaction when you see a list like this? And two football guys on the bottom, Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford, rounding out the top ten. Like, damn, Floyd, I should have been a boxer. <laughs> I know, right? I should have been. A, like, my I always, son's the box now. You know what I think about this? I always think it's how underpaid – NBA and NFL, not Major League Baseball. Those guys make a ton of money. Yeah. But like in the bigger scope sure. worldwide, they're not paid anywhere close to those sure. guys. Now those are individual. Like when you're Conor McGregor and you're Floyd Mayweather, like they're individual. But the soccer guys, like soccer is the world sport and those guys crush it. Yeah. I'm always like, man. I think sometimes as Amer you just think about American sports. There's a lot going on out there and Le a lot of money to go around. LeBron made the argument a few years ago about like what he'd be worth on like the open market. People yeah. had a, like they were all up in arms about it because he made 20 million, like right. whatever. But that, that's to the oh, point right there, right? LeBron yeah. is underpaid for sure. Uh, so yeah, no doubt we're, we are underpaid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a wrap, Bork. Uh, all right. That's a wrap for us on Off the Bench. We'll be back tomorrow. That money, bonus, bonus episode tomorrow to recap game three tonight for the Cavs. <laughs> Uh, make sure you go subscribe to us on iTunes and download our podcast every time. Leave us that five-star review. And as always, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Canel and Bell.